Welcome again to Crosstalk. It's a delight to be with you all. It's a little bit cold outside. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story real quick that uh, has absolutely nothing to do with what we're going to talk about. And it has zero spiritual value whatsoever. Okay? So when I was in high school, we had this coach, and his name was Coach Dom. Okay? Coach Dom was in his 80s, and he lived with his mom. And Coach Dom was this guy that was mostly crazy. Okay? And he just walked around being crazy. Right? One time we're in the weight room. He's got both knees totally blown out, right, from playing football when he was in college. And he walks like this, right? And so all of us, you know, teenage guys are in there lifting weights, doing stuff, acting like Ramacho. And we've got like 600 pounds on the deadlift thing. And there's only like a couple of us that can do it, however much it was. I don't know. If, maybe it was 400 pounds. I don't know. It doesn't matter, right? And he just walks over there. And he's looking at it. He's walking back and forth. And he goes, I don't know, maybe I can, I don't know. And he walks up and goes like this. Yep, yep. And he was just this powerful, crazy guy, right? And no matter what happened, he wore the same outfit. Terrible coaching shorts and a t-shirt. So on a night like this, or on a, you know, we were out having practice and it was like this and it was cold and it was, you know, a little bit misty. He'd be walking around going like this. Oh, it's a little bit cool outside. It's a little bit cool. White t-shirt, terrible shorts. It's a little bit cool outside. And he would just walk around saying that for hours while we were at practice or at the game or whatever. I don't even know what the guy really even did. So there's a free story for you. So if you hear me saying, it's a little bit cool outside, I'm, I'm, I'm giving some respect to Coach Dom, right? Coach Dom, okay. That's a free story. It's meaningless. So... As we talked about last week when we kicked off this semester, we're going to talk about what it means to go, what it means to, to head out into the mission field that God has given you. Let's go together. And we talked about a dude whose name is Peter, the most let's go, yellow, whatever you want to call it, dude in the Bible, in my opinion, because he just went for it. No matter what was going on, he just went for it. And so we're going to follow, continue in following what what Peter is up to. Last week, we, we looked at the story of him getting out of the boat and walking on water, and now we're going to start in the actual book of 1 Peter, the book that he wrote. And then we're going to listen to what he said. So we're going to look at Peter, what he does, what he writes, and ultimately how he tells us to follow Jesus in word and in deed. So if you have your Bible or if you have your uh, electronic device, portable electronic device. Turn to First Peter in the first chapter. And we're going to look at verse 13 through 16. I'm going to read that out loud, even though you can read, I can read, and it's on the screen. I'm going to read it out loud anyway. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. All right, now before you, you know, pack up and leave, because I'm about to talk about a holy life, I'm not about to give you a list of rules 
and things that you have to do because you know what that is? That's dead religion. The list of rules, the shoulds and the should nots, that's all dead religion. You see, because we follow after Jesus and we receive the grace that he's given us through the power of the cross and his resurrection and the fact that he is alive, because of those things, we live in freedom. And as a result of that freedom and the Holy Spirit living within us, we don't live by a list of rules. Instead, we live a life that is holy by honoring the Spirit of God that's at work within us. The Spirit of God at work within us compels us to do good. It compels us to obey God. It's not that we do works in order to receive salvation or favor with God, but it's because we have found favor with God through the work that He instigated. We do good works. The things that we do, the way that we live as ambassadors of Christ, those things are the evidence of the Holy Spirit alive inside of us. So don't get the wrong idea. So you don't have to leave because you think I'm going to give you a bunch of rules. However, in this passage, we see three things. There's more, but I'm going to talk about three things. And we cling to these three things. The first thing we find in verse uh, 13, we cling to the hope of grace. And if you've ever heard me speak before, you might have heard me say that grace, the salvation of Jesus, the free gift of salvation that he offers through his death, burial, and resurrection is our only hope. This grace is our only hope. And this grace is the only hope for rescue from ourselves and from eternal separation from God. This grace should overcome and reprogram our minds. If we look at verse 13 again, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, we set our hope on the grace to be brought to us when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And as the grace overcomes arguments in our mind and our old behaviors, we are alert and fully sober. And what that means to be alert and fully sober means we are of sound mind. of sound mind, of complete mind. We are completely whole. We're not externally influenced in any way other than by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you the truth right now. Anything, anything, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's a video game. It doesn't matter if it's, a, if it's food. It doesn't matter if it is, um, make the, go ahead and make the list of addictions. It doesn't matter if it's uh, popularity or anything, but anything that controls us, that takes the place of the Holy Spirit in our lives, anything that motivates us instead of the power of the Holy Spirit gets in the way. And when we allow grace to renew our minds, then our only intent is the business of the Father, the things that God is about. Now, did I say that playing video games or playing sports or playing or playing music or doing whatever it is you like to do. I don't know, bowling for burgers. I don't know. I don't know what you do. I don't Underwater basket weaving club, whatever it is. None of those things are bad, right? They're not bad intrinsically. Intrinsically, if you don't know, hey, where's Prince? You know what that means. Prince knows what that means. Intrinsically means in and of itself. By its own nature, it's not inherently bad, okay? None of those things are. But when we place those things 
in front of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the motivation of living a life that honors God, then we're slipping. We're slipping and we're tripping and we need to stop. The second thing that I want to pull out of this passage is we cling to the security of obedience. If we look in verse 14, it says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now, ignorance, that sounds like an insult. Keep in mind that ignorance doesn't have to be an insult. It can just be a benign word speaking of fact. When we did not know Jesus, we were ignorant of Jesus. I was ignorant of Jesus. It's mean that I did not know him. I was not close to him. I did not have a relationship with him. That's what it's talking about. When we were ignorant, when we were apart from Jesus and we didn't know what the Holy Spirit was, we didn't know what the grace of God was, we didn't understand what his salvation looked like. That is our ignorance. That's what it's talking about when we were ignorant. The practice of obedience, it changes our desires. When we, when we begin to practically obey God. And how do we obey God? Remember, I told you I wasn't going to give you a list of rules, right? Right here, right? Right? Was somebody going to say something profound? Please tell me. That's exactly right. We listen to the Holy Spirit. That's how we live for God. And we read the word and we understand that he gives us ways to live and ways to love. And that's how we live. And as we practice obedience to God, it changes our desire. As we see the fulfillment of obedience, it begins to change our desire in our life. And so we no longer desire to do the things that we did formerly before we knew who Jesus was. The practice of obedience crushes the imposters. It crushes the imposters. Let me tell you something real quick. Maybe not so quick. Any identity that we take onto ourselves that sets itself up against the truth of who God says you are is an imposter. Any identity that we take onto ourselves that sets itself up against the truth of who God says that we are is an imposter. And when we choose to obey God, when we choose to listen to the direction of the Holy Spirit, that was excessive. When we choose to obey God, those things melt away. And the imposters, they run away. The practice of obedience removes our ignorance as it focuses our affections on being about the Father's business. And so when we're faced with decisions that take us back to old behaviors, we can practice obedience. And that's what Peter is trying to tell us here. Is that as obedient children, we should not conform to the evil things that we used to do in the past. And evil is another word that we don't like nowadays, right? Sounds so ooey-gooey and churchy, right? Evil is anything that contravenes the truth of God. It just is. It's as simple as that. So it's not, you know, talking about some demon hiding behind the bush, which demons are not good, of course. But evil is things that go against 
what God says and who he is. And we all have those behaviors that God wants to root out in our lives because he has something better. He has something better for us always. So that's two things. We cling to the hope of grace. We cling to the security of obedience. And the third thing is we cling to the holiness of God. Look in verses 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's a reference to the book of Leviticus. It says it two or three times in a couple of different chapters in the book of Leviticus. Let me go through this in simple terms. Why? Because I'm a simple dude and I have to understand things in a simple way because if it's super complex, then you're going to lose me. I'm going to fall asleep or I'm going to get confused. Jesus is holy and he's the only one who lived holy and blameless. None of us have. But Jesus lives in us. And his righteousness is ours. Now, how does that make sense? That's because as Jesus came and lived and faced all the things that we face, maybe within a different culture and in a different time, of course, but the same temptations that are in the heart of every human. He faced all of those things and he was found without sin. And that's the only reason this whole thing works. Because the requirement of sin is death. And Jesus died in our place. He took upon himself the punishment that was meant for us. And so now we are absolved and completely justified and we stand blameless in front of God. God has the ability to do something that none of us do. He has the ability to do many things that none of us can do. But one is the ability to choose to forget. We can't do that. You see, we've contradicted what is best for us by disobeying God. But through the lens of Jesus and because the sacrifice that he made, God's, God the Father takes our sins and he throws them into what he calls the sea of forgetfulness. And he doesn't remember them anymore and he doesn't hold them against us. And the only reason that that works is because Jesus is righteous. And so the scandal of grace, the scandal of the salvation of Jesus is that when I stand here on that day, when I'm face to face with God, when everything here is over and I've stepped into eternity and when I stand before God and Jesus is my advocate, he looks at me as his son in the same way that he looks at Jesus because Jesus has afforded me righteousness. And that, my friends, is how we live a holy life. You see, Righteousness is not perfection, but it's right standing. And right standing with God leads to holy living. A holy life is not perfect. It's perfectly submitted. It agrees with God. 
It takes the righteousness afforded to us by the blood of Jesus upon itself in order to be the hands and feet of Jesus in fleshly form in the here and now as ambassadors of Christ. And therein we find the point of the passage is that we cling to hope, to the hope of grace and the security of obedience and to the holiness of God for the purpose of others coming to know Jesus as well, of others coming to understand the grace of who he is and that he loves us, regardless of what we may think that we've done or whatever what church, fill-in-the-blank church has done to you or whatever church leader has said whatever or whatever spiritual person has said whatever thing. Jesus loves us and he cares for us and he offers to us that righteousness so that we can offer it to others. And so this hope and this obedience and this holiness that we are called to is not just for ourselves, but it's the mission of our lives. And so as we continue to go, we take the words of Peter and we obey God and we replace our ignorance with the knowledge of God. And that leads to a desire to live in holiness through the grace of of the Father offered to us by the sacrifice of Jesus. And so if you'd close your eyes and bow your heads, I'm just gonna read this little portion here and then we'll wrap it up. This hope, this obedience, this holiness that we are called to, it's not our defeat it's not against us, no. It's our determination. It's not our burden to carry. It is to our benefit. It's not a religion that we follow. It's a rescue that we receive. Because he is holy, we have become holy. Because he is good, we have become good. Because he is kind, we have received kindness. Because he fills us up, we can pour out to others. Because he loves us, we can love one another. Because he sacrificed himself, we can modify our agenda to be more about the Father's business. And so we live in these things so that we can invite others into the hope, security, and holiness of God as we join in the work of Jesus to offer salvation to all of those that we encounter. And so, Father, I ask that that would be true of us, that we would cling to your grace as our only hope, and we would carry that as the torch of the gospel as we go about our days. And I pray, Father, you would show us how to obey you in gratefulness as you remove our ignorance of you and you bring us closer, closer to you, Father. 